This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, this is Megan Rapino, and I'm Sue Bird. We've decided to turn our crazy IG live show into a podcast for your listening pleasure. Enjoy the show. A Touch More. New episodes of A Touch More drop Tuesday only on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Welcome, football fans, back to this special edition of Prospects 101. And as always, we're brought to you by Blue Wire Pods and Bet Online. Now, remember, this is the show where we discuss and analyze prospects across the football world. So we're talking NFL, we're talking college football prospects, we're talking high school prospects, recruiting, and more. Now, as always, you can follow and interact with us on any social media account, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. That's at Prospects101Pod, uh, as well as rate and review the show on your favorite podcast platform. So Apple, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play. Uh, you know, we appreciate all the great feedback that we've gotten so far from our listeners as we've kind of transitioned into more of this prospect, pl- uh, you know, uh, prospects 101 and, and taking a look at film and, and really identifying who's going to be great at the, at the next level. So we do appreciate all that feedback that we've gotten from our listeners so far. Now, it's a pleasure to be joined by my guest today. His name is Brandon Thorne. He's an, an analyst of uh, NFL offensive and defensive line play for several high-respected media outlets. Uh, EstablishTheRun.com uh, has written uh, and, and analyzed pieces for The Athletic, uh, The Scouting Academy, and of course he has his own podcast uh, as well, which I'm a huge fan of, called Trench Warfare. Uh, has a lot to do with uh, NFL offensive and NFL defensive line play, where he goes on and, and breaks down the film, as well as, as he'll bring on uh, past and current uh, NFL offensive linemen, as well as he even brings some college offensive linemen on there. Heard of, I've heard a couple interviews of that. Um, and you can actually download that on Apple Podcasts uh, and check that out on Blue Wire Pods. Brandon, how's it going today? Going really good, man. Thanks for having me. Great, absolutely. No, um, as soon as I started listening to your podcast about a month and a half ago, I was like, man, I have to have this guy on uh, to really break down prospects, not necessarily talking about a specific prospect, so not taking a look at an Alex Leatherwood um, or a Penny Sewell, but I want to talk about it from the NFL perspective. And why don't, why don't we start off by discussing offensive line play at the NFL level and the specific skill sets that translate well from college to the NFL? 
yeah, so I think uh, in terms of skill sets and like traits on the field that you could see on film that translate the best, it's it's really there's there's a set of there's a core set of five traits that I look for on film from every offensive lineman, and that's play strength, play speed, competitive toughness, mental processing, and athletic ability. So those are the things that you really want to look at on film, and if a guy has most of those or all of those, he's chances are he's going to be a good player on the pro level, and you want to see those things executed at least at like a solid to above average level. Um, and if a guy is deficient in one of those, then I think chances are he's going to have you know a little bit more of an adjustment period going into the pro game um, from as a college guy, and then. You know, there's other things aside from skill set that, of course, you want to look at that are very important. And I think one of the biggest things is level of competition and experience. I think those things are very important for offensive line um, just because it's a position that requires so much skill and so much, uh, you know, mental processing, really. So, you you know, the more that you've seen, uh, I think that just generally raises your chances. And, and when I say that, I mean, like, you know, in terms of defenses, blitzes, uh, different levels of competition, stuff like that. So that's where experience comes in there. Um, and then level of competition, obviously, is huge because, you know, at the NFL level, it's so much different than the college game in terms of the quality of opponents you're seeing. So that's why, you know, generally with offensive line, you see a lot of SEC guys get drafted highly. Or if it's not SEC, you see a lot of, you know, Notre Dame, Wisconsin, right. uh, you know, schools like that, Iowa. Um, that just are, you know, offensive line factories, really, in a sense, just because they place so much of a focus on it and they really preach and teach the fundamentals of the position and things like that. And there's a lot of Big 12 schools and, you know, places like that. And, you know, not to knock that because Oklahoma's in the Big 12 and they've developed some really good offensive line, but just generally, like, you know, it's more about skill positions, more about hurry up, getting as many plays off as you can and uh, that kind of stuff. And it kind of takes away from, offensive line play uh, in, in certain ways. So, yeah, I think that's just kind of, you know, some of the things that I think on field and then just generally that I look for in college guys. So let's go back to uh, the mental capacity and the mental speed because I think that's a it's a really interesting segue into the different run schemes and the pass pro schemes that college offensive linemen have to be prepared to run in the NFL. So, for example, let's use the Oklahoma example. Um, you know, Oklahoma and even schools like Clemson, uh, I think Clemson, especially with Trevor Lawrence, um, even with some Taj Boyd, they used to run a lot. But how, offensive linemen that come from schools and programs that run tons of RPO sets, essentially it's not your traditional left tackle sometimes, or it's maybe not your traditional uh, run game or pass game that some of these schools run, do you do you end up seeing those not being a factor when evaluating some of those bigger schools, bigger school players? So, for example, we take a left tackle out of Oklahoma. Well, that offensive scheme is so interesting enough, and it's and it's different than kind of your traditional offensive line play. Kind of talk about that a little bit, uh, the difference in schemes and and how that makes up when it comes to the mental capacity of a player on how that translates? Yeah, so scheme, you know, scheme just in general, I don't think is 
really as important as maybe it was five years ago or so, or even a little bit more, just because we're seeing more and more over the last few years, really, the pro game looks a lot like the college game. And I think that's only going to be increasing, and it has been increasing. You have coaches like, you know, Andy Reid really comes to mind, just kind of the offense he designed around Patrick Mahomes. I mean, they're they're running an RPO almost every play. Yeah. Um, and Peterson as well. I yeah. think Doug Peterson's another big one in Philly. For sure, yeah, Philly. Um, and, and just really I think you're, you're seeing that, you know, what Baltimore did, um, you know, this year under Greg Roman and, you know, Harbaugh and everything with Lamar Jackson. And, um, you know, just different teams are really adopting a lot of college scheme into their pro scheme to help ease the transition for the quarterback because, you know, as we know, it's a quarterback-driven league. So whatever they're more comfortable doing, it just makes sense to implement that, as, you know, as an offensive play designer. Um, so I just, you know, I don't place too much emphasis on the scheme necessarily, but there are teams out there who, you know, I look at a lot of running schemes where, you know, I guess it's, you know, I guess it would be gap scheme, man schemes, where a lot of the time offensive line, like there, there's a lot of like, uh, what, what, how do I say, like hinge blocking and stuff like mm-hmm. that, that, you know, Left tackles, you're not going to do, and right tackles even, you're not going to do a whole lot of that on the pro level. You see on the pro level, it's really, I mean, outside, inside zone, gap uh, in terms of power. uh, There's not a whole lot of counter, but there's a lot of power. There's a lot of duo. Um, Those are really, the I think, the four running schemes that you see the most in the NFL. Um, And then, you know, some teams get creative and run traps and whams and stuff like that, but... Um, I think for the most part, those are kind of the, the core four schemes that you see on the pro level. And, and then you, you see most college teams run those. I just think the biggest difference really, again, goes back to like level of competition because, mm. um, you know, you could see a team like uh, Louisville, you know, under Coach Ledford, uh, offensive line coach there, as well as I believe the run game coordinator and maybe another title I'm missing. He was on my podcast um, in the last few months, and he runs a heavy outside zone scheme. That translates really well to the pro game, especially places like San Francisco, uh, you know, Los Angeles with the Rams, Minnesota. These teams run a ton of outside zone. And there's other teams. I mean, pretty much every NFL team runs everything, but there's certain teams that focus, you know, predominantly on one thing, and those three NFL teams I just listed are outside zone. So, Teams like Louisville, that's one that comes off the top of my head that runs a lot outside zone. The scheme really is, uh, you know, it, it translates really well, but you look at who Louisville plays and the quality of defensive linemen that they face, that's where things get really different and interesting, and that's kind of where I focus when I watch film is, you know, I, you know, if I'm evaluating an offensive lineman, I always want to watch the defensive lineman that they're going against first that way I can have context as to when I see the offensive line do something good or do something bad, what his opponent is is at, like what, what level the opponent is at. I think that's critical in any evaluation of a player. And when I watch a defensive lineman, I always watch the offensive line first because I want to have an idea of who they're going against. Um, right. So I think uh, schemes, you know, don't differ a whole lot. Uh, and I think that that bridge is – becoming increasingly short as we see the implementation of 
college concepts into the pro game more and more, and then the success of them because you know the Super Bowl champ ran basically a college you know system for, you know in a lot of different ways, and you know successful teams, the Eagles like you mentioned, and others, they're running like basically college systems. So um, in a lot of ways, not not completely, but so you know I don't know. I, for me personally, I don't pay a whole lot of attention to the scheme. Uh, necessarily, I, I look at more of fundamentals, technique, uh, traits, and level of competition. Yeah, that seems to make a lot of sense uh, to me, at least, right? I mean, if you have a lot of those fundamentals and traits down, you know, a good offensive line coach and, and time and practice, you can really get a lot of that in. And, and to your point, you know, a lot of those schemes not only translate to college, but, you know, you learn a lot of that stuff in high school. Right. I mean, most high school teams run run gap schemes, you know, power counter are, are pretty basic and you can run that from the gun or run it under center. Uh, but even in college and then you start to incorporate some of the zone stuff. And just quick question before we get into the evaluation line. I, I heard you say one time on your podcast that you scat, you were watching film of the Dallas Cowboys and they ran eight different run schemes. And I was flabbergasted at that because I was thinking back to my high school coaching days, like, how the heck would I teach our kids eight different blocking schemes, um, you know, for, for a run play? So uh, just mention that real quick. Like, when you mean eight, are those eight totally separate and independent, or do you categorize those as gap schemes and zone schemes, and then, the uh, like, the six, or I'm sorry, the eight just kind of fall in, into one of those two categories? Yeah, for the most part, it's gap and, and zone. So I think, if I recall correctly, you know, some of those eight were like outside zone, inside zone, maybe split zone. Um, I think I mentioned um, power, duo. So that's five. And that's five right there. Yeah, right? and then maybe you a get track counter in there, or wham. Maybe a calendar, yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So, yeah, like pretty much the ones that I mentioned earlier, um, there's – there's really like the kind of four that you see the most, in my opinion, inside, outside zone, power, and duo. And then there's additional ones, like, you know, variations of those. Split zone is kind of a variation of outside zone, you know, with the, you know, the tight end or the fullback or the H-back working across, them, you know, the opposite side of the formation to cover the backside uh, defensive end. So, you know, just basically the same thing for everyone else, except it has that additional wrinkle. So there's a lot of wrinkles that are added uh, in run schemes off of kind of that, that core set of runs. Um, but I really think that core is really what you see. And then, you know, for me personally, it's just fun to see all the different variations every year, which, you know, there's a lot of. Pardon the interruption while we bring you some awesome news from our exclusive partners. There is no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partner, BetOnline. NASCAR is back. Huh, it's those newest rivalries between Chase Elliott and Kyle Busch. And Bet Online has hundreds of other games, events, and sports to get in on. You can still bet on simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC events 24-7. Or you can participate in a $10,000 Madden Bracket Challenge, a March Madness-style NFL simulation tournament you can enter for free. And coming up next Sunday, Bet Online has ex-Chicago Bulls, Ron Harper, Horace Grant, Bill Cartwright, and Craig Hodges joining them to discuss the Michael Jordan documentary on what they're calling the final dance. Visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE 
to receive your new welcome bonus and check out all the action. Bet online, your online wagering solution. Blue Chew! Guys, looking to last longer and go a few extra rounds? I don't know which guy isn't. Get to BlueChew.com. BlueChew.com is the first ever chewable that brings your performance in the bedroom to another level. They've got the same active ingredients that are in Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. And since they're chewable, they work faster. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. Plus, you don't need to go to the doctor's office or spend time waiting in the pharmacy line. Blue Chew's online physician is free of cost, and once approved, your order ships straight to your door in discreet packaging. Here's a great deal for you guys. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first order free when you use the promo code BLUEWIRE. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com, promo code BLUEWIRE. Well, let's get back into uh, evaluating NFL offensive linemen when you look on film. And I want to take this by tackle, guard, and then center. So when you're evaluating tackle, you know, the tackle position and players that are playing left tackle or right tackle, and we'll just kind of group them together for the sake of time. But why don't we break each one of those down? So when you're looking at offensive tackles in the NFL and you're evaluating them on film, what are you looking for? Yeah, so... I really think, you know, it's, I start with pass protection because that's really the thing that's most common. You know, I think NFL passes 65, 70% of the time right now, just league-wide. So in pass protection, uh, really how a guy comes out of his stance, I think, is the first thing. And what I mean by that is from the ground up, looking at their feet and their base and making sure it's strong throughout the rep and throughout their pass set. And then looking at what kind of pass sets that they're utilizing. So, you know, I think for the most part, most elite level offensive tackles in the NFL have a variety of different pass sets that they can execute at any given time. Now, most guys, you know, execute one or two, but then there's kind of a, a changeup that they have to have in there. Um, and especially when they're going against elite competition, I've I've had guys on my podcast and interview guys and talked to guys about this over the years and. You know, Teron Armstead really uh, had a good um, kind of comparison when he said it's like a pitcher in baseball. You want to have a couple, you know, primary pitches, but you need that changeup that you can throw at a hitter, or in this case, a pass rusher, um, to, to keep them off balance and to keep them guessing. Because as we know, these guys study each other very closely on film and they write stuff out, they identify tendencies. So you want to have tendency breakers you know, if, if you will, in your arsenal. Uh, so that's something that I first look at for offensive tackles and pass protection is how do they look coming out of their stance? Is it balanced? Is their base strong? Are they turning their hips too soon to the sideline and giving the defender a two-way go? Um, that's something that's a big red flag because elite pass rushers will eat you up all day if you do that. Um, so you really want to keep your hips square to the line of scrimmage in your pass set up until contact, if you can. Um, now, if you have Von Miller as a wide nine technique or a wide nine alignment, excuse me, then you know chances are you're going to have to turn your hips a little early. So there's context in there that can kind of change that. But generally, you want to keep your hips square to the line of scrimmage in your pass set, and that right there is going to eliminate the two-way go for the defender and is really going to put you in a position where you can dictate turns 
as an offensive lineman to the defensive lineman in pass protection, and that's what you want. Um, so that's really kind of the first part that I look at, and then the variety of pass sets, you know, vertical set, 45-degree angle, short set, jump set, um, things like that. You want, you kind of want to see a guy utilize at least, you know, two or three of those on film um, because in the NFL you're going to need to do that. Um so, and, you know, if you're talking elite-level guys or even very good-level guys or even good, uh, I kind of grade guys on a 1-7 to seven scale. But if you're, if you're talking about 7, 6, and 5-type players, those guys are going to do all these things I'm talking about for the most part um, on different levels, of course. Uh, so that's really the first thing in pass protection. And then, of course, strike timing or punch timing. Um, that's, you know, after the fact. If your feet and your base and your hips are in the right position – then you can effectively use your hands, um, and then you look at your hands. Placement, timing, that's critical. If you're too early, you can whiff. If you're too late, the guy's into your chest. Um, placement, you want to be, you know, I mean, different guys do it differently. You'd like to see independent hand usage. You know, you can two-hand strike, strike a defensive end in the NFL with some success, but you can't do it consistently. Guys will pick up on that. And if you're, if you're two-hand striking guys, they're just going to, you know, rip swim you or club swim you or something like that, and you're going to fall or whiff. So that's another thing, like having a change-up pass set. You also want to have a change-up hand strike as well. Um, and typically it's a two-hand strike that some guys use, but for the most part it's all independent hands. You know, you take one, you, you give one, you take one away. You know, it's kind of that hand-fighting thing, but... Um, I, I really like to preach when I'm talking about offensive line. It all starts from the ground. So if the feet aren't right, it doesn't matter what the hands are doing um, right. for the most part. So, you know, look at feet, look at hands, look at pass it, look at hand, you know, hand, uh, or excuse me, strike timing uh, and also strike placement. Um, so, you know, those are, that's kind of the, you know, kind of the foundational part of pass protection evaluation for offensive tackles. Um, and then length, of course, helps. Uh, you know, to, to a certain extent. Um, so that's something that you kind of look at, I think, on film. Um, and then, of course, anchoring. Uh, you know, after contact is established, if a guy goes to power, uh, if he converts speed to power, or if he just goes straight bull rush, you want to see how a guy bends and his ankles, knees, and hips. You want to see that mobility in those, in those key joints to actually absorb content or absorb power and, you know, cut grass within steps of their feet. That's something else that I like to look at to make sure that they're able to generate, you know, stopping power at the point of attack, uh, you know, because you want to obviously keep the integrity of the pocket intact. So anchoring is a big thing in pass protection as well. And then run blocking, uh, of course, is, you know, it's its own thing with tackles kind of, especially you want to see some movement ability because, of course, if you have an offensive tackle who can lead in the run game, um, you know whether that's pulling or climbing off of a combo block to the second level, you want to see some athletic ability there. But uh, you know angles. You know if a guy takes efficient angles, he doesn't have to be a great athlete. Uh, so that's something that you can consider as well in run blocking. Um, you know, of course, uh, generating movement at the point of attack. That's for all all positions on the offensive line. So. Um, and that's a function of mobility, play strength, and, you know, footwork, um, aiming points and things like that. So that's kind of a, a general, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm going on and on here. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I could keep going. It's just 
that's just kind of a general idea of what I look for on film, uh, pass protection and run blocking for an offensive tackle. Sure. So how how does that differ from how you evaluate guards and centers? Because they are playing against different styles of players. Generally, your left your left tackles, your right tackles, you're going to get you get really athletic guys that are coming off the edges that are in wide nines. Um, you know, on a lot a lot of uh, pass heavy downs. Uh, you may be getting outside linebackers. You may be getting corners coming off the edge. You may be getting that. I mean, a, a ton of different scenarios that a tackle can deal with. Where guards and centers, I, I feel like the scenarios that they see are a little bit more limited. So uh, talk about how your evaluation of guards and centers differ from how you evaluate tackles. So, you know, generally, right, on the interior, guys are bigger and stronger. So that's something to just consider right away. Guards and centers are going to be blocking bigger people. Um, so there's a different set of skills required. I think play strength becomes more important on the inside, but I also really look at hand usage on the inside because things on the inside happen quicker. There's less space, so guys have to be really good processors um, in terms of mental processing because things happen so quickly. Um, you know, just different stunts and line games and things like that. It happens very fast on the inside. And then contact in general happens faster on the inside because guys are closer to you. Um, right. So if you miss, you have less mark, less room for error in some ways there on the inside, especially if you're going against a really good three technique. For instance, you know, Fletcher Cox, Chris Jones, Aaron Donald, guys like this. I mean, their margin for error is so slim so your hands have to be really good on the inside, in my opinion. And then, of course, play strength, you have to be able to anchor on the inside. But most guys, most guys if they're starters in the NFL on the interior, they can anchor uh, for the most part. So that one's kind of, you know, comes with the job. Um, but I think the little things that you look at are like hand usage, and that kind of goes back to what I said with tackles, timing and placement. That's huge on the inside. Uh, you know, you really want to be able to get inside of a guy's frame quickly. And, you know, you look at grip strength in terms of how they're able yeah. to create leverage with their hands and, and sustain blocks. Um, so that's a big one. Um, and then passing off games is huge on the inside. Uh, for, for guards and centers, um, you know, whether it's a tackle end or an end tackle stunt, uh, you know, uh, late looping linebackers, um, you know, all these things. You have a lot of stuff happening in front of your eyes at the snap, and you have to be able to process that quickly and maintain levels with your line mates. So that's a huge thing in pass protection with the integrity of the pocket. Um, some guys, you know, they can get too too high or too close to the ball after the snap, and then that creates a crease, or they get too deep, and that creates a crease or just caves the pocket in. So you want to see them maintain a good relationship with the guy to the left and right um, in terms of the levels of their you know body positioning. That's a big one that I look for. So I call that spatial awareness. Um, yeah, so that's that, I think that's pretty big on the interior in terms of pass protection. And then kind of all the things that I said for tackle apply in, in some sense in terms of how they look in their stance, how they come out of their stance, and you know are they square, and, you know, things like that as well. But it's just more pronounced on the outside, I think, because, you know, there's more space. But, sure. um, yeah, so I think generally that's kind of what I look for in guards. Um, and run blocking, it's more more of an emphasis on the play strength aspect of things 
in terms of generating movement at the point of attack and, and what kind of fits that they're getting on defenders. Uh, you don't want to see a guy, you know, kind of overextend himself or under shoot a guy, and, you know, that just creates, um, you know, that gives the defender an opportunity to shed the block quicker. So, you know, how they fit both, you know, if it's a base block, um, but also on double teams, combo blocks, ace blocks, deuce blocks, um, you know, things like that. You want to really look at how they're fitting with their center or with their tackle. Um, you know, are they really getting a good fit and, you know, getting hip-to-hip, shoulder-to-shoulder with their, you know, their, their partner um, because you want to real, really limit space on those double teams and be able to create movement and, you know, hip-lift and drive a guy off the ball. Uh, so th- those are really important for pr- pretty much all run schemes. Um, and then outside zone, of course, if, if you're evaluating a guy in that, then movement becomes a little bit more important, angles, things like that. Uh, so, yeah, and then I'll just say for centers, I think, you know, more than anything, it's mental processing for them because they're going to be the ones who are a lot of the times dictating, you know, what type of protection that they're going to run. Uh, they're IDing the mic, you know, they're, they're communicating to the rest of their offensive line on who to block, uh, what they're seeing. Um, so centers, it's kind of its own deal, you know, in that way in terms of mental processing. And some of that you can see on film, some of it you can't because we obviously don't know the game plan for the week and, you know, things like that. But you can generally see if protection holds up and if guys are blocking the right man. You know, I think a lot of that can be attributed to what the center is or isn't doing. Um, and, you know, one little thing for centers that I always like to point out is their snap hand. You know, a lot of times the defensive linemen are taught to attack that snap hand because it's vulnerable, right? I mean, you're snapping the ball and you have to bring that ball under your ball, the ball and your hand underneath your legs and bring it back up in time to get your hand on the defender. So, you know, if you have a tilted nose tackle, you know, that's on your snap hand, that's a, that's like a, you know, like the, the alarm bell should go off if you're evaluating that center because you want to see how he handles that, um, you know, maybe more than anything else in pass protection because a lot of the times defenders are going to be, you know, have kind of a leg up on them if they're getting that snap hand. So how quick a guy's hands are uh, is, you know, a really, really good thing to look for on film uh, for centers as well. So those, those are a few things. Yeah, so that is a lot of information there, and those for listening out there, if if you're confused, don't don't be don't be overly concerned because again, Brandon's one of the best in the game, and you can follow him at Brandon Thorn NFL on Twitter. Uh, so you you talked a lot of a lot there about fundamentals and different offensive fundamental concepts. Now, in order for the listeners kind of grasp that, why don't you give us a couple examples of, of players who grade out extremely well at the NFL level based on some of those skill sets uh, that you've seen? You can do it tackle, guard, center, however you want to do it, but just kind of some guys that jump off the page uh, when you talk about uh, some of those concepts you talk about in the passing game and in the run game. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And this is this will help make things make more sense if you can watch these guys on film and study them. So offensive tackle, I'll start on the left side. Teron Armstead, um, Tyron Smith, um, David Bakhtiari, um, let's see, Ronnie Stanley, uh, Larry Tunsil's a good one to watch. Uh, Trent Williams is going to be back, so he's a must-watch. Those are, you know, five or six. Right tackle, Ryan Ramchek, Mitchell Schwartz, Lane Johnson, 
Leo Collins, Brian Bulaga. That's who I would watch on each side of the ball, and, you know, or each each side of the line for tackles. Guards, left guard, Quentin Nelson, uh, Richie Incognito, um, uh, Joe Tooney. Richie, Richie Incognito is still getting it done, man. He was probably the best left guard in football last year. It was incredible. Wow. He was absolutely dominant. Yeah, Joe Tooney for the Patriots. I could say the team name, too, as well, just to make it easier. Yeah, you get the team name so our listeners can okay, Yeah, so I could go back to tackle if you want. But yep. uh, left guard, Quentin Nelson Colts, uh, Richie Incognito Raiders, Joe Tooney Patriots, Ali Marpet Bucks, right guard, Zach Martin Cowboys, uh, Marshall Yonda Ravens. He retired, but he played in 19. You know, anything he puts out in the last five years, watch. Um you know, 10 years, really. Uh, right guard, Shaq Mason, Patriots. David DeCastro, Steelers. Kevin Zeitler, Giants. That's just some. Uh, right tackle, I'll go back to that. Ryan Ramchek, Saints. Mitchell Schwartz, Chiefs. Lane Johnson, Eagles. Leo Collin, Collins, Cowboys. Brian Bulaga, Chargers now, but he was on the Packers. Mm-hmm. Um, left tackle, Trent Williams is on the 49ers, but it, it would be yep. Redskins team. He's with the Redskins, yep. Yeah, uh, left tackle Tyron Smith, Cowboys, uh, David Bakhtiari, Packers, Tron Armstead, Saints, Ronnie Stanley, Ravens, Lambert Tunsil, Texans, and he also has Dolphins tape as well. So, yeah, and then oh, so, uh, center, of course, Rodney Hudson, Raiders, uh, Travis Frederick, Cowboys. Um, he's retired, but he has a lot of tape. Um, really, I'd, I'd watch like 20. 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 for Travis Frederick. Any of that is going to be teach tape stuff. Uh, Alex Mack, Falcons. He also has Brown stuff. Um, I know I'm missing a big one. Um, Marquise Pouncey, Steelers. And there's, I feel like, oh, Jason Kelsey, Eagles. Yeah, so those guys, yeah, that's kind of the elite group right there, just off the top of my head of all positions. And those guys kind of, exemplify a lot of the stuff that I've talked about. Let's focus a little bit on the D-line here as we're uh, just a couple minutes left with you. Uh, Recent years, uh, you know, a lot more emphasis on the pass rush. Uh, You know, those interior linemen sometimes, people people mistake that you can just throw one technique or a three technique out there and and they're going to, they're going to essentially be able to get the job done or a zero technique, things like that. But what really makes a good one one technique and three technique? And when I think of this, I think of guys that are um, really, quote-unquote, generational talents and, and, and a guy like Aaron Donald um, and guys like Fletcher Cox. Why, why don't we start there and kind of what makes them successful as, as three techniques and, it, you know, their game and how that helps you evaluate other three techniques and one techniques. Yeah, so just those two right there, I think those are the two best in the NFL, uh, Aaron Donald, Rams, Fletcher Cox, Eagles, and two totally different players. So, And I think that they kind of cover every way that you can really be successful as a three technique. So we'll start with Fletcher Cox. So Cox, really, you look at his size. I mean, he's, okay, 6'4", you know, 320. I'm just estimating. I don't know what it says on the team site, but he's a, he's a big, big dude. And he has really long arms. I want to say they're 34 plus. Uh, so just the sheer size for him. But then what makes him special on top of you know having the height, weight, length, and build is his athletic ability is off the charts. 
Um, you know, and that's the thing too. Like these guys are the gold standard, so you you can't really compare a lot of guys to this because Fletcher Cox is seriously like he is. He's such a freaking nature. I mean, his athletic ability and and lateral quickness, his bend. I mean, those type of things that he can do athletically and physically are just rare. Um, so you know, if you put a guy like that at three technique, I mean, chances are he's going to be really good. Um, but you know, in terms of like technically, um, you know, that's kind of something that's more duplicatable that you can kind of look at as you know across the league with three techniques and. I mean, for him, aside from being a physical freak, he, he's really um, a refined pass rusher, and he does a really nice job of absorbing contact in the run game and just being a wall. He's, you know, if you look at the side copy of tape and you watch him in the run game, he never really gives up any ground, and that's huge, obviously, because, uh, you know, if you can either not give up ground or reset the line of scrimmage, in the backfield as a three technique uh, that can really, you know, put a dent in a running game and, you know, create, you know, stoppages and blockages for, for the runner and stuff like that. So he's able to do those things. And then on top of that, he's able to penetrate. Um, so, you know, typically we think of three techniques as guys who penetrate. So that's obviously huge. Um, and Fletcher Cox can do that. Same with Aaron Donald. All elite three techniques, three techniques can penetrate in the run game, and then that just kind of blows things up and disrupts the timing of the runner's path and things like that. Um, and pass pass rushing wise for Donald and Cox is you want to see a a couple really good primary pass rush moves. And for Fletcher Cox, I think his best one is the club or a hump move. Um, so he just uses just sheer power and he just clubs guys in the you know their shoulder pad and just I mean, just like ragdoll. He's a freak, man. Yeah, he's yeah. just a big bully down there. Yeah, he really is. But he can also win with speed, and that like he can turn a corner like like a defensive end, and it just makes him just kind of a unicorn in that way. Um, but Chris Jones is kind of in that mold for the Chiefs. He's another guy to look at. Just another guy, same type of size, same type of length, but just an incredible athlete, and he's so quick, and he's really good with his hands and he can win with power or speed. I think when you're talking about a three technique, uh, you know, you want to see a guy who can win with power and speed. I mean, if you have that, then you, you have the makings of an elite player, and, and Donald and Cox can do that. So, yeah, I mean, and you want to see, you know, if you want to really get into the, the nuances, you can start looking at what type of moves they use and when they use them, and that's really what I do with the offensive line masterminds clinic every year is I study these guys and I break down what moves they use, when they use them, and how often do they use them. And then I just kind of categorize it and I have it down for probably like the top 20, 25 rushers in the NFL um, each year. And it doesn't really change much, Um, you know, little things, but for the most part, you can kind of get an idea of what a guy likes to use um, just by studying his tape and, you know, marking down when he, what down and distance he uses certain rush moves. And, you know, third and seven plus, if you look at guys, how they're rushing the passer, chances are they're going to have, like, a primary move that they use on that down, and they're not going to vary very often. Um, but, yeah, so just to get back to your point, of, you know, what a three technique, what a really good three technique uh, does is I think if he can win with speed and power as a pass rusher, and if he can penetrate and hold up against double teams in the run game, then you have an elite three technique. 
Yeah, and there's only, uh, to your point, there's only so many out there. And, I mean, me personally, I, I love watching both of, both of those guys that you mentioned because physically they are very different. I mean, if you watch Fletcher Cox play, he's just this massive bully and this massive body on the defensive line. And, and Donald, some people really underestimate his strength because all you see is his uh, – Oh, he sees his speed. I mean, he's just able to anticipate run plays, spills plays well. He's able to take double teams, split double teams. Um, it's extremely impressive, but he's an extremely strong kid as well. Um, two really fun guys to watch. So um, last question for you, Brandon, before, before we end this interview. Uh, don't have to spend too, too much time on it, but just curious from the football fan's perspective, your favorite offensive lineman and defensive lineman to watch on film? Okay, this is tough, so I'll go each position. Um, I'll just give you one. Okay. Uh, so that, that'll help me uh, a little bit here. So left tackle, probably be Teron Armstead right now. It used to be Teron Smith or Tyron Smith and Trent Williams, but they've been a little, you know, Tyron's dealt with a lot of injuries, same with Trent. So right now, if you're talking just 2019 tape, I'd watch Teron Armstead. Uh, left guard, probably Richie Incognito, but Quentin Nelson is right there. Center, um, I mean, I, I forgot to mention him, but Ryan Jensen Bucks, uh, I would highly recommend watching his tape at center from 2019. Right guard, it's Zach Martin. I mean, that's been the same answer for five years, Cowboys. He's the gold standard, I think, at, at the position in the NFL. Right tackle would probably be, this one's tough because I, I love a few guys like uh, you know, Lane Johnson Eagles and Mitchell Schwartz Chiefs. Those two guys are a whole lot of fun to watch. And then defensive, three technique, uh, the guys we mentioned, Donald and Cox, probably my favorite guys. I'll throw another one out there, Geno Atkins, Bengals. Mm. He's, Our you know, co-host is going to love you, by the way, for saying that. He's a big Bengals fan, so Brandon Pastel oh, is going to love that. That's <laughs> awesome. Yeah, yeah, especially like – you know, I would go watch 2017. I mean, he was unreal in, in that year. And, he, you know, he's just been a good player for a long time. But I've watched 2017 Gino. Uh, his bull rush is incredible. Uh, and then one technique or nose tackle. Um, I mean, 2019 probably, oh, man, this one's tough. DJ Reader comes to mind, Texans. He just signed with the Bengals. Um, his, you know, he's been one of the more underrated interior defensive linemen for a while. And I've, I've always been a big fan of Linval Joseph with the Vikings. But now I'm giving you more than one. So uh, those are just a few. <laughs> so. No, I appreciate it. And that really gives the listeners kind of some context of, you know, these guys aren't heralded, right? A lot of these guys are talked about in highlight, you know, in highlight films and, 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 that's why I do what I do. Traditional game day uh, previews that you see, right? It's all right. about skill players. But that's why I appreciate having you on, Brandon, because it's really awesome to get to look at, at the deep, right, the offensive line and the defensive line. And really what makes what makes the foundation of NFL teams is being really solid on both of these lines. So um, thanks, for, thanks for being on. It's been an absolute pr- pleasure. I would love to, love to have you on again. I'm sure you and I could – talk for a couple hours about this. Um, anybody listening out there, uh, please follow Brandon. He's a must-follow on Twitter. That's at Brandon Thorne NFL. That's at Brandon Thorne NFL on Twitter. Uh, you know, he'll post clips up there, a really good analysis uh, from both the offensive defensive line. And, again, he's a, he's a must-follow on Twitter. So thanks for, thanks for coming on, Brandon. Absolutely, man. It was fun. Anytime.
Hey everyone, Kenny Keller. Hope you enjoyed this special episode of Prospects 101. Thanks to Brandon Thorne for coming on the show. Remember to follow the show on all social media accounts at Prospects101Pod. Also remember to leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and make sure to subscribe on your favorite place to listen to podcasts. As always, thanks for listening, and have a great Memorial Day.